You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them accessible. On June 20th, President Donald Trump broke his three-month hiatus and got back to doing what he loves most. So we begin, Oklahoma, we begin. Thank you, Oklahoma. And thank you to Vice President Mike Pence. Campaigning. But something was different this time. Before the rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Trump campaign had bragged about the million tickets that had been pre-requested. Scores and scores of Americans who wanted to come and cheer on the president's return to the stump and the spotlight. But when the day came... I stand before you today to declare the silent majority is stronger than ever before. Only 6,200 people showed up at the arena, and President Trump spent his day addressing a sea of empty chairs. Now... Maybe it was the pandemic that caused people to stay home. Maybe it was fear of getting caught in a protest. But maybe it was... TikTok. 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 A social media platform and app where users upload their own video content. Like an Instagram on steroids. Most videos sound like this. Dance moves set to catchy music, which other users then try to imitate, creating and uploading videos of their own. Trend snowball, then go viral. But sometimes... Guys, Donald Trump is having a rally next week, and it's free. All you have to do is give your phone number. Users get more political. And you can get two tickets. So I got two tickets, but I totally forgot that I have to pick every individual piece of land off of my room floor and then sort them by size so I can't make it for Friday. Because those million missing tickets? Now, it's hard to say for sure, but they were supposedly claimed by politically charged teenagers on TikTok who wanted to send a message to the president. Their plan? Take all the tickets and force Trump to play to an empty room, embarrassing the president on a national stage. And it wasn't long before. We're looking at TikTok. We may be banning TikTok. We may be doing some other things or a couple of options. But a lot of things are happening. So we'll see what happens. But we are... President Trump released an executive order banning TikTok in the United States. TikTok is owned by the Chinese company ByteDance. And Trump claims he is concerned the firm will share user data with the Chinese government. Along a similar line, President Trump also announced another ban on the Chinese application WeChat. In question is whether these moves signal a trend toward a fractured internet divided by national boundaries and political alliances. If the president makes good on his order to ban these applications or force them to be sold to U.S. firm, will the concept of an open, borderless internet vanish? These are the questions that will shape what our internet looks like 
as the U.S. grapples with its tech policy future. Thanks for joining our podcast. I'm Daryl West, Vice President of Governance Studies at the Brookings Institution and co-author with Brookings President John Allen of a new book about AI entitled Turning Point, Policymaking in the Era of Artificial Intelligence. President Donald Trump has issued an executive order banning TikTok and WeChat from operating in the United States, but gave the companies 45 days to explore the options, including the sale to an American firm. In his order, he wrote that, quote, this data collection threatens to allow the Chinese Communist Party access to Americans' personal and proprietary information, potentially allowing China to track the locations of federal employees and contractors, build dossiers of personal information for blackmail, and conduct corporate espionage, end quote. Yet, a New York Times article by David Sanger and Jillian Barnes described the reaction of CIA officials as highly equivocal on the national security threat represented by these apps, and claim there is no evidence either Chinese app actually has threatened American security. Some experts say this is just an effort to hurt the Chinese in the lead-up to a U.S. election and not a meaningful effort to protect national security or economic competitiveness. Since then, there have been strenuous debates by many people regarding the wisdom of the executive order. Some have supported his call on national security grounds, saying the fact that these applications are run by Chinese firms means consumer data is at risk of going to the Chinese government. Others worry that the executive order sets a dangerous precedent for going after foreign companies and invites other countries to retaliate against U.S. businesses. In the long run, some experts say the executive order could lead to a balkanized Internet where many countries demand apps be run by local companies, data stored within their own national borders, and technology subject to local security practices. To discuss these issues, we are pleased to be joined by two distinguished experts. Nicole Turner-Lee is the director of the Brookings Center for Technology Innovation and a senior fellow in governance studies, and she is an expert on technology policy and is writing a great book about the importance of digital access. Tom Wheeler is a visiting fellow in governance studies and the former chairman of the Federal Communications Commission. He is the author of a terrific book entitled From Gutenberg to Google, The History of Our Future. So I want to start with Nicole. TikTok is a video platform that is very popular among young people. WeChat is a widely used mobile app that people use for phone calls, bill payment, restaurant reservations, and many other things. Nicole, was President Trump right to ban TikTok and WeChat from the United States? Well, thanks, Daryl, for having me, and I'm so excited to be part of this discussion. You know, let me first start by saying I am so upset that he is banning TikTok. It means I can't do all those videos that I was doing before. Actually, I'm only kidding. My 13-year-old can't do all those videos that she was actually doing before. I mean, I, I think this is like an interesting conversation that we're having, right? Because this follows along um, the president's particular stance when it comes to China. And what's so interesting about the ban um, in many respects, and I'll first talk about TikTok, is that it came at a time when, you know, publicly sort of surfaced, I think in my mind, 
as we found that young people were sort of manipulating the platform in many respects to create insurgents about going to the political rallies. And again, I have a 13-year-old that in many respects, I cannot claim that she had nothing to do with her uh, participation of signing up for a rally. But, but you know, she told me a lot about what was happening in that space. And so once again, it feels kind of arbitrary the extent to which you have a company like TikTok, which is not necessarily like a WeChat or a Tencent or an Alibaba, which is actually being banned because of its affiliation or relationship or, you know, how of it, of it because it's being seen as a Chinese company, quote unquote. Um, and so whether or not he is right about it is very interesting, and I'm sure we'll get into it. But it certainly sends a message about the president's overall xenophobia, as well as his resistance to the engagement of the Chinese in any aspect of the American economy. And so that's a very, I think, very vigilant, right, approach to uh, what that he's taking in terms of uh, assessing an immediate ban. WeChat to me is kind of interesting, right? Because having been a person who has gone to China, uh, who does not have access to American companies when it comes to social media or other uh, American platforms in terms of search, what's interesting is that the alternative to that has been WeChat. And so the banning of WeChat, which has primarily been a company that is literally based in China and sort of engineers and has architected commerce and entertainment and banking and sort of saying that the United States is banning WeChat here is kind of interesting too, right? Because when you think about who is actually using WeChat in the United States, most likely it may be people who actually reside most of the time in China, whether it's people who are Chinese or business people or students. But it's also, you know, a, a response to the fact that in the United States, we have our own platforms, which, by the way, are banned from China. And so when I think about the ban, honestly, Daryl and Tom, I, I sort of find ourselves in this vector of confusion when it comes to the president's articulation of his extended values and beliefs about China and sort of what was written in the New York Times just recently, which I found to be interesting, it's sort of his replication of sort of this tit for tat, do unto others as they do to you, which I don't know if that's actually going to be productive in this overall approach to technology where the United States will not have some type of repercussion as a result of this aggressive behavior that the president is imposing upon these Chinese companies, particularly those that are not necessarily based in China. It just has Chinese affiliation. So, Tom, Senator Mark Warner said that TikTok could be a problem, but, quote, on the hierarchy of problems, we are talking about an app that allows you to make funny videos. It doesn't rank very highly, end quote. Uh, so he doesn't think it ranks uh, that highly on the list of serious problems. What are your thoughts on the ex executive order and whether uh, Trump should forbid these applications? Well, I think that Senator Warner's prioritization is right. I also think that we should be concerned about the China data threat that results from all of us being interconnected. But I think that the, the, the Trump actions on TikTok and WeChat are more showbiz than substance. That And that's kind of the Trump MO, if you will, that instead of developing a broad policy, well, let's distract from the absence of that policy with a one-off 
performance event, if you will. And 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 note that in his in his actions, I mean, he hasn't defined most of the terms, and he's dumped that over to the Commerce Department and others, saying, "Well, you figure out what I really mean here." But the problem is that there is no coherent U.S. internet policy. Uh, there's nothing on privacy. There's nothing on competition. There's nothing on data sharing. There's nothing on data security, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and when you have you know where you where you stand depends on where you sit and we don't have anything where we sit to base policy on because we've been running away from that i also think and i pick up on what nicole said that there there are substantive differences between the app the, yes tiktok is for time wasting videos and wechat is if you will the swiss army knife of apps everything you want and a billion users using it. And and again, the fact that this was performance more than substance is reflected in how it was, how we used it. So he used the CFIUS review, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, and their review of TikTok's acquisition of an American company called Music, Musical.ly, Musical.ly. Musical.ly, Tom, Musical.ly, Tom. Right. <laughs> they, they, it's .ly. We got to get the, the, the URL down here. Um, and, and he used that for TikTok. And then for WeChat, he used IEPA, the, the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, which gives him broad powers and he then based that on supply chain issues. But but the challenge, I think, that we're going to end up seeing is that this is software. And software has First Amendment protections. And, and I think as Nicole and you both pointed out, Daryl, he pointed to future harms, not specific harms. So, so the challenge that we have here is is rather than ad hocery in American policy, are we going to have meaningful domestic policy that sets down ground rules and that then we then advocate for in international forums and work with other nations to get established as norms? But when we have no norms in this country, and just show trials, it's hard for us to become advocates to organize a countervailing force to China around the world. So, Tom, you make an interesting point about the need for a broad strategy. And I want to get into what principles actually should go into that strategy. So, for example, app on the WeChat ban, Apple, Disney, and Walmart already have complained that a WeChat ban would hurt their marketing efforts in China. So the question I want to pose to each of you is how seriously should we take an issue when there's a conflict between commercial versus security considerations? So let's say WeChat actually may pose a security threat to the United States, but these American companies are saying they need it to market in China. How do we balance those types of things? 
I mean, I'll jump in. I think part of the challenge, Daryl, that you're re- referencing, and particularly in the case of WeChat, is that the president's imposition of a ban, you know, immediately does not account for, in addition to the general regulatory and legislative concerns that we have in this country over governance, it doesn't account for the repercussions or the impacts on American business. And so in the swift decision to ban, and it's been interesting to watch these American companies that have had some base in China, you know, sort of react to dips in their advertising revenue, for example, as a result of, you know, taking them off a platform that reaches billions of people. And this administration, I believe, you know, oftentimes in this quest, in this race, in this, you know, uh, a competition with China that is very pronounced seems to conflate oftentimes the cybersecurity concerns with those commercial interests, erring on the side of cybersecurity as its prime goal without thinking about, as Thomas suggested, how will that affect the entire ecosystem? And so to your point, I think that has always been concerns about the Chinese ability to surveil and to uh, collect data, even with um, TikTok when it was musically, you know, the company was fined excessive imposition from the FTC for collecting children's data without parental permission. But this administration uh, appears to me to not sort of sit at the drawing board and figure out exactly what they're doing. They seem to be very reactive. And I think not taking into consideration its impacts on those companies in the United States that have sort of fought their way to engage in China's um, marketplace uh, in a way that it could be a win-win or reciprocal, whatever the case may be. And I think that's one of the dangers of why we're having this conversation today, because of the fact that this is a this this administration tends to operate on a whim based on an emotional reaction or a personal disparagement, which I think is dangerous to your point because it doesn't take into effect how the entire ecosystem will be affected. Tom, your thoughts on what our strategy should look like in cases where there is a conflict between commercial versus security considerations? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's uh, that this is one of the problems of of performance versus policy that 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 we instead of having a balanced approach that looks across the entire economy, we have show trials that grab headlines now but but there is a broader issue here there we have had for lo- a long time a a high value low value trade off in our relationship with china where where us developed chips and software which are high margin high value products were sold into China, and then we bought back from China, if you will, low-cost, low-profit labor. And the question is that that can't, probably is not going to exist for much longer. And that there, I think the problem that, that Disney and the other companies are raising is that there are no alternatives for selling high-value, high-margin products into a market the size of China, point one, if China goes away, point one, and point two, that China is going to themselves move to a build-not-buy orientation and start competing with us in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And, and again, this is a consequence of not 
looking at a total package across the entire economy and instead going for these kind of show trials. I think that's a really important point. And the other thing that strikes me is in our current world, this whole debate over banning uh, apps raises the issue of how do we live with an insecure infrastructure that crosses through many different countries? So the internet operates through countries that are friendly to the United States and countries that are either hostile or outright competitive uh, with the United States. So how do we try and build trust in the infrastructure, given the fact that the world is getting increasingly complicated? The internet is, is, is a trust vehicle to begin with. Okay? That's right. It, it is, it, it, the internet is shortened for the term that the originally was used called internetworking, which was that incompatible networks could suddenly work with each other by using a common language. And, 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 and that is based on trust, that I will connect my network with your network and that you won't screw up my network is, is the, under, the, the, the underlying trust. It then builds on top of that all of the other trust issues that we've been wrestling with, whether it is uh, you know, the trust for the information that's delivered the trust that it will be delivered secure, the trust that the network itself will not be monopolized, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and what we are facing is a deficit of trust in the internet and the United States government failure to step up and say, here are the basic underpinnings of what a trust relationship is. What is the security of your message? What is your access to the network? What is done about the data that is collected about you? What is your privacy? Et cetera, et cetera. And, 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 and until we step forward, which we have always done as a nation, this is the shocking thing, until the last couple of decades, we were always the leaders in saying to the world, well, here's how we can get these basic bedrock principles like trust established. And why don't you work with us? But instead of that, we have said, no, we will have no policy. And it's devil take the hindmost. And that's the at some point in time, we have to step up and act like the United States of America and be leaders and help to establish the trust that's necessary. But if we can't do it domestically, how are we going to do it internationally? Yeah, and I would say, um, Daryl, to your question, I mean, I think what I, I have to agree with Tom, I think you, the United States is sort of slipping in our leadership when it comes to uh, the fighting of these petty debates, right? It's almost like, you know, we're not picking our battles wisely. You know, we do have a cybersecurity threat with China. We have an AI arms race that is actually going on right now. We even have an infrastructure race when it comes to 5G networks. And to go to a social media app, as Senator Warner has said, that has probably less priority than those other things, you know, makes 
should make us concerned about where we stand in the world when it comes to our guidance around many of these issues. I mean, I think the the thing that Thomas said, which, you know, this administration sometimes seems to forget, but it but it's very apparent in what uh, Tom has sort of talked about. What did you say? What was the performance? Is it the stage show you talk about, Tom, with regards to that? I mean, Think about the things that we're able to do with the internet when we share data across borders, right? We're able to look at the COVID-19, um, uh, share health outcomes and collect data that allows us to come up with breakthroughs and vaccinations. But the problem is this administration has not necessarily leveled the the, the playing field or had converse, or led conversations around cooperation and collaboration and multi-stakeholder engagement. And I, I do agree with you. I think if we stay on this path, as we are already seeing it in the infrastructure space, we'll sort of create a, a, a various levels of the internet where there is less cooperation, less trust, less leadership. And at the end of the day, you know, one of the things that we're seeing play out through this TikTok um, strong arming and WeChat strong arming is the fact that, you know, we're being just like China was to us <laughs> in terms of putting our foot down in, in, in the exclusionary policies and practices that have come from that country when it comes to the introduction of new products and services. And as national leaders, I think, Tom, is what you're suggesting in the technological space for decades, you know, it's almost like we're reversing the progress because of our bullying instead of really coming up with a multi-stakeholder governance um, strategy that would allow for, you know, much more productive conversation. I, I think going forward, yes, there are security concerns that have been identified in a variety of reports. And there is a, this growing public opinion about China and these data vulnerabilities. But the extent to which we pick and choose are, are again, these petty fights instead of looking at the overall approach to Chinese government. And, the, and Daryl, you and I just recently wrote about this, right? The whether or not we transform these types of issues into cyber issues versus social issues, I think is really on the table for the discussion by this administration or a potential new one. I think both of you have hit a key point here. If Trump ends up banning these or other Chinese apps, what is it going to mean for the future of an open and interconnected yes. internet? Are we going to end up having walled gardens, a balkanized internet, and each country going their own ways in the digital economy? Is it going to lead to a less functional internet in the future? Well, what do you mean, will it lead to that in the future? They've already blocked right. things off uh, in China and blocked off access to most American apps. You know, here's what I'm, I, I hearken back, and Nicole will remember this, that there was a meeting in the first term of the Obama administration sponsored by the UN called Wicket yep. uh, in Dubai, when all the nations of the world tried to get together and, and establish a common set of principles for the Internet. And the United States' position was that it should be open and transparent to all people in all nations. Well, let's see, who opposed that? China opposed that, Russia opposed that, India opposed that, and India is now putting restrictions on in, in their country. And, and, and so what has happened here is, is that what has historically been a fight for openness and transparency in this the most powerful network the planet has ever seen 
has now turned into, as Nicole says, adopting Chinese exclusionary policies into the United States, which is 180 degrees from where we've been. And I want to go back and say, yes, there are serious challenges that we face with China access to American consumers and American apps, and, and, and we can't close our eyes to that. But, but there, is, there is an insidious effect of the kind of things that we're seeing out of this administration. And that is, it makes it look like they're doing something when they aren't really. Right, and, right. And that, and that hurts the opportunity to really do something and have a policy. That's right. That's right. And it, and it, and it hurts, if I can, Daryl, it hurts our ability in the, in the states to also sort of have this negotiation or this, you know, opportunity for debate of the Chinese around, you know, why they have excluded American companies, you know, because now what Trump is basically signaling is you do this, we'll do this too. And we do have American leadership in the space of social media platforms and, you know, search engine platforms, but where we're going to find ourselves lacking, much like what we're seeing right now with the infrastructure side, they're going to be blind spots that the United States will not have the uh, level of confidence or a reasonable alternative to roll out, which I think in the end, Daryl, will go back to what you're talking about, which is where like the EU and others will find other alternatives and sort of get out of the way. It's like a street fight, right? At some point, they're going to just back up <laughs> and decide we're not going to get in the middle of this. And I think that's where we're headed uh, due to this lack of a coherent strategy and approach to technology with Chinese firms. This is, this is to me, it's so surreal <laughs> um, because again, it's very um, indicative of the behaviors of this administration where there's not this necessarily this calibrated or thought out or strategic approach that comes with a list of either demands or you know that may be the repercussions of not behaving well in the marketplace or perhaps these agreements or principles that what would define the normative expectations of how we should co cooperate and collaborate. So we're definitely, Tom, missing that based on what you said. We're, we're definitely making this into a street fight that we might not win <laughs> going forward. So each of you have mentioned geopolitical considerations. And it seems to me in the case of uh, these bands, it's really crucial how other countries respond. So right now, the U.S. is engaged in this battle with China. And that means the people who are actually going to decide what happens are our European allies, countries like India and Brazil and uh, some other places around the world. So what are the implications if these countries either do or do not join the ban and how they end up approaching the policy, the broader policies that are uh, going to be adopted for the Internet in general? Well, uh, back to the, the, the story about where this government was which was we were trying to lead a charge for open and transparent internet and and how do you how do you confront a country like china or or russia you do you do it multilaterally you organize others in the world to say here is a common set of beliefs that we all share let's stand together for those well, you know, we, multilateralism is a dirty word in this administration. You know, let's start with the fact that one of the first things that happened in the Trump administration was to was to walk away from the TPP, which was an effort to organize economic strength 
to deal with of allies to deal with China's uh, 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 challenge. So, so we, we need to be able to organize multilaterally. We don't believe in multilateralism, and you cannot organize multilaterally until you know what you stand for. And we don't know what we stand for. Yeah, you know, Tom, I agree. I mean, I'm trying to think of a, a, a comeback to what you said, but I actually agree because I also think what's happening in these immediate bans is that they're not being played out within the context of the historical agreements that we've made with China, nor being looked at in ways that, you know, the United States has typically approached China on many of these issues. So I, I definitely agree that they're, it's sort of like they're part of this big bundled approach to policy for China that I think may get in the way if we continue, Daryl, to your point down this trajectory, if Trump were to be reelected. So if either one of you were advising a President Biden, what would you be telling him on the issue of banning particular companies, the internet strategy in general, and how we play this broader geopolitical fight that has emerged in the last few years? Uh, I would be saying that we need to begin with a cogent domestic policy yes, about yes. what we believe about the internet. And then we need to organize so that we take um, that belief system, which is what policy is, we take that belief system to the rest of the world and try and organize them at the same time. Yeah, and I would say, and Tom, I'm kind of going off of what you said a little earlier, right? I think if I were Biden, I would think about the domestic data infrastructure generally, right? And I would think about whether or not the United States has sort of led <clears throat> in the type of privacy and security controls that we expect others to adhere to and sort of reclaim that leadership. You know, Congresswoman Maxine Waters said, reclaiming our time. I think it's time to reclaim our leadership in this space in a way that thinks through, you know, again, how should we look at Chinese companies going forward? Should we also be looking at them? And Tom, this goes back to your point. It's something, Daryl, you and I have discussed over the years. You know, if the Chinese do not want to be at the table in coming up with values and principles, then what does that mean in terms of um, their stake in the general global dialogue around these values, you know, in areas where countries are pretty much coming to the table now and agreeing that, you know, these are places that we don't want to touch when it comes to the potential weaponization of the data infrastructure that is in place uh, globally. So I, I would definitely say to Biden exactly what Tom said, sort of go back and think through what our values are around this. And to also think about where are those areas where we just need to do more investment in, in not being as reliant or adversarial towards countries like China that may appear to be leading in spaces where we have in the last few years not been as aggressive in our R&D, right? Not been as aggressive in, in opening up new market opportunities for these types of companies or innovation sectors. So I just think that if, if Biden comes out and follows the trajectory of, of, of this past, this current administration, that was a, slur, a slip, but this current administration, that we will find ourselves in the same place that we are in now. And I honestly think the 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 more um, aggressive this becomes, I do worry that we will place the Chinese in a position where, Daryl, to your point, they will architect new industries, local economies, like with Africa and other places that will 
split up the internet in ways that it was not designed to be split up. And then two, we will have more national security concerns. Let me give you a specific example, Darren and, and, and Nicole. When we passed the net neutrality rule at the FCC in 2015, two weeks after that was adopted, I was in Europe meeting with all of my counterparts in the European Union to help them draft their rules so that we would be all consistent and that would build a model for the rest of the world. Unfortunately, after we left office, the Trump FCC came in and obliterated the net neutrality rules. Right, and, right. We, and we left, therefore, the rest of the world hanging. And that hanging meant, well, let's us figure out this little nuance or that little nuance that we want to add in that takes care of our local concern. And that hanging eliminated the kind of collective force that Western liberal democracies could represent on this issue, but now don't because the, our failure resulted in international balkanization on the, on the issue. I agree. I agree. And I think we're now at a state where, I mean, even if we go back to TikTok, you know, the immediate solution to this issue that has been, you know, constructed by this administration is, well, sell your assets and divest, <laughs> you know, and I, I just think that that's such an interesting approach that um, I don't know in my lifetime, guys, you know, and I'm, I'm going to say I'm probably the youngest person on this podcast. Um, I don't think I've seen this happen uh, the way that it is played out in this administration. So I completely agree with you, Tom, on that in terms of, you know, what this administration has done and how, in many respects, it's sort of vulcanized our communication systems. The last question I want to pose to each of you is whether it's actually going to be possible to go back to the world that existed before Donald Trump, when America did believe in an open and interconnected internet, that we pushed that message with our allies, we tried to build a multilateral coalition on behalf of that. Is it going to be possible to go back to that or has Trump actually permanently altered the way things are going to operate and America is going to create some walls for security purposes, the Internet's going to get balkanized and various countries are going to end up going their own way? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll share and I'll actually personalize this a little bit. You know, I participate at Brookings in our with our China Center. And have had the opportunity to go to China over the course of about three to four years as part of the World Internet Conference. And I can remember the very first year that I went was around the time of Trump's first year. And I can remember the Chinese around the table and we were, were talking to saying that this is going to be great <laughs> for the U.S. that Trump was president. I can tell you by the last year, there was a lot of concern. And I think in terms of returning back to normalcy, the challenge that we're all currently experiencing when it comes to technology is that the world has continued to evolve and innovation has evolved while we've been in the middle of this. So when you look at these conflicts that have been presented with China, technology has not slowed down. And this apparent race to the finish is going to sort of determine who leads with the standards and who leads with what Tom and, you know, has been talking about the principles and who leads with the intellectual property. 
And so I think, given that, Daryl, that returning back to a new a normalcy before COVID, before Trump, is going to be a little difficult. And I think, again, going back to your previous question, whoever gets into office that is not Trump is going to have the big task of figuring out how do we manage this? I, I did a, an event a couple of weeks ago where Ian Bremmer basically suggested that AI is in this Cold War race right now with the United States. And I was a little, little, little girl when we talked about Cold War. And so I think that coupled with the public opinion that has been created on this administration, uh, you know, and I, I'm going to go there, you know, even to the simplest denominator of a virus being affiliated with China has set up this conversation that is going to fuel uh, many years of, of getting to a place of diplomacy. And in the tech space, the more years of trying to negotiate the diplomacy will result in uh, dual, triple ecosystems. It may result in what Tom is talking about, a restricted internet. And it you know, eventually may result in this, this competition around the supply chain that will have greater effects going forward. And it will definitely affect American companies who need to find other places to create markets. So I think we're all looking at that. But, you know, it's definitely going to be a Herculean task to go back to what we started. And perhaps maybe where we started there was not always the best. <laughs> but this is one of those cases of, you know, whether or not you want to take a trunk or a suitcase to a street fight. Tom, your thoughts on this? So, uh, after Trump, is America still going to be able to believe in an open Internet? So I think that the answer there is yes, America can believe in an open internet. We ought to have open access to the network and we ought to have open access on the network. And we ought to be missionaries for that position around the world. But I think the key thing about what Nicole just said is that the internet and technology evolved while all of this vacillation and, and, and vacuum of leadership was in place. And, and the, the, the challenge that that's going to create in a Biden administration is that, you know, first you've got to put the pilings down and figure out what is it we stand on. The, 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 the vacuum, you know, is like building your house on sand. It it won't work. What are the things we believe in? And 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 that is as the Disney example that you brought up, Darren. That is a economy wide issue. That is not just a well. Let me pick on this app or 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 that app. That app. I I I, I thought it was interesting, Nicole, that you raised the Cold War uh, analogy. I don't think that's an apt analogy. Um, mm. That. That this is not a new Cold War. Right. You know, in during the Cold War, we weren't buying products that were manufactured in the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union wasn't buying products from us, and the Soviet Union sure didn't have control of of American debt. But but what we are is we're in we're in some kind of new digital wars that are going to be fought out in an interconnected environment which makes it all the more essential that we figure out what the rules for that interconnected network are. That's right. And if I can add just real quickly, Daryl, I think to that point, I, I mean, I think you're right. And like I said, I, I plead the fifth. I am not 
a person who experienced <laughs> the Cold War. I still have some younger years on me, right? But part of it is, I think the intent around that, and I, I appreciate you clarifying that, Tom, is that we are in a place where this interconnectedness creates new vulnerabilities, whereas before we could see the ch- these adversaries coming to us, now we're all part of the same playground, right? And there are opportunities within these networks where weaponization can occur at any time and create the type of suppression, whether it's, you know, through a weapon of mass destruction or it's a weapon of data destruction that I think is is a, is a higher vulnerability for us, right? And so we've got to keep thinking through that. And I do agree with you having a frank conversation on governance is is well needed right now and moving away from the pettiness and tit for tat over apps that in many respects you know let the people keep doing their cat videos by god and let's just deal with like you said the privacy concerns that may go along with that which may really be the issue um on tiktok for example we've just blown this up and we have so many more issues that we have to deal with but Daryl, you didn't really get into as well all of this is going on while we're fighting a pandemic um which is another issue in and of itself as to you know why we're in this space and it, and it's also real interesting too guys that while we're fighting tiktok the president is also fighting facebook domestically or Twitter domestically. And he's fighting the same companies in a domestic context. So there's a lot going on there that I think is just contributing to a lot of confusion and a lot of interest in this topic overall. Well, that just shows that the brilliance of Tom's uh, first point, there is no strategy. And we definitely need a strategy uh, going forward. So I want to thank Nicole and Tom for sharing their thoughts with us. Uh, They write regularly for our Brookings Tech Tank blog, and you can find their work at brookings.edu. Let us know if you have any reactions to this podcast. You can send feedback to dwest at brookings.edu. We look forward to hearing your suggestions, and thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Tech Tank, a series of roundtable discussions and interviews with technology experts and policymakers. For more conversations like this, subscribe to the podcast and sign up to receive the Tech Tank newsletter for more research and analysis from the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings.